2: Hello, and thanks for downloading the first series of Joining the Dots. Joining the Dots is a podcast from the makers of Huck Magazine, Brought to you in association with size I'm Michael Fordham One of the founding editors of Huck Magazine And I'm here to introduce the first series Of Joining the Dots Hosted by filmmaker, DJ and storyteller Don Letts Don came to creative consciousness in South London In the 1970s And in a decade since has been part of so many Movements that have defined our era In a series of sessions in Don's creative bunker At the bottom of his West London garden We learn that culture can bring us together As well as
3: tear us apart Hi, I'm Don Letts and welcome to Joining the Dots. Today I sat down with Gary Inman and Gemma Harrison. Gary is the impresario of alternative bike culture and kingpin of the global cult that is Sideburn magazine. Gemma, meanwhile, is one of the founders of the VC Motor Collective who have led the charge of encouraging women to get involved in the new inclusive world that's all about having fun on two wheels.
4: I'm Gary Inman, I'm an editor of a magazine called Sideburn, a motorcycle magazine, uh, show organiser, freelance journalist, motorbike racer and motorbike obsessive.
5: Uh, My name's Gemma Harrison and I'm part of a collective of women. A motorcycle collective called VC London. We put on events um, and we have a workshop in Limehouse in East London.
3: Well, obviously, I'm Don Litt, one of my radio broadcaster, filmmaker, DJ, and I know... all about motorbikes <laughs> i just want to lay my cards on the table but the culture around it that's something else you know i'm one of these kids that would have been wearing a black leather motorcycle jacket back in the day and never having been on a motorcycle you know and I would have had my eyes popping open watching films like i don't know easy rider obviously springs to mind girl on a motorcycle springs to mind as well <laughs> you know for somewhat obvious reasons but other than yeah, the boots, the style. I guess the whole kind of, there was a scene. I mean, there was this kind of out. I mean, when I was growing up, motorbike bikers, you know, first bikers I really knew about were greasers, to be quite honest, other than the people we saw in American movies like Marlon Brando in The Wild One. Do you know what I mean? But I guess what was appealing to us landlubbers is the whole kind of rebel side of it. You know, they were, they were outsiders, anti-establishments. Obviously, that was to appeal to me as a kid, but never made that step of actually getting on a bike. How, how did you first get into
4: it? Through the Scooter Boy scene of the mid-80s, which was a huge UK cult. A mod-type thing you're talking about? It was post-mod, really. It was more, the, the look was more psychobilly, more ex-army, so Italian ex-army trousers, dock boots. So, moving on from mod really. And was it stripped-down scooters you were riding? bit of everything, really, but it wasn't lights and backrests yeah, and... Quadrophenia. Uh, it, it wasn't any of that stuff. No, it was after that. It was, a look, yeah, yeah. it was a harder look, and now scooters have got this very urban media feel about them, and, and a lot of the later generation of motorcyclists look down on scooters, but back then, they were the hardest hard nuts riding them. Not me included, but there were some, you know, they were basically gangs of lads who'd turn up five, 6,000 strong to a seaside town and just take over the town for a weekend. And that you know, was a legacy of what was going on in the
3: 60s as well, is it?
4: Yeah, it came and went. The mod revival of the late 70s and early 80s mutated into this harder scene. That were still scrapping on the beaches even back then. If you've got five or six thousand young men all turning up to Scarborough or Tenby in Wales or Margate or Shit's whatever, gonna happen. these rundown towns at that time, Yeah, stuff happened, but not too much really. But you can imagine the towns quaking in their boots as all these turned up. And as I say, now you you see the urban, the very smooth vespers and all kinds of people it's like riding the Cappuccino around. Cappuccino crew, that. Yeah, that's coming from one more Italian aesthetic. Yeah. But you cannot imagine how threatening, you know, a big pack of scooter boys (laughs) turning up to a town was. So it's kind of been forgotten in time, really. It wasn't very well documented at the time, except by the specialist magazines. So it's been forgotten a little bit. So that's my way in. And then I wanted faster and faster motorbikes and went into the Japanese bikes, Honda CBRs and things like that. And then just kept riding and mutated down different scenes until I started racing. So exactly what is VC?
5: What's the concept behind VC? People love to say bike gang and stuff like this but I mean come on like we're not 12 but we kind of put on all these events for, for women to start getting into motorcycles. We've also teamed up with people like the DTRA um, to put on women's events where they can start to get into flat track um, organisations like um, there's a, a, a motocross track in East London called London, uh, Docklands Riders. Um, so putting on Enduro Day so like Gate events for girls to start getting into that do making that first step into sort of starting riding or giving something a go that they didn't
3: think they could. And you're what, a
4: pioneer of this dirt track scene? Explain that to me, because like I said, I have no reference for any of this stuff. Dirt track calls itself the original extreme sport. It's America's national motorcycle sport. So it takes place on big dirt ovals, some of them a mile long, and all the bikes, a lot of them are Harleys, but perhaps not like you'd know. Very stripped down, big wheels, big engines, big handlebars, not much else. So the bikes look like a cartoon version of a motorbike just stripped to the bones and they have no front brake so you're barreling into the corners, the pros are barreling in at 130 miles an hour with no front brake. And just pitching it in and it's
3: These are white people doing this, right?
4: <laughs> they are no brothers doing this. I don't there, believe there, it. There is one. <laughs> there's one brother. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> at the moment yeah. there's one. So you've got you've got this incredible <clears throat> sport and the whole aesthetic around it. They wear leathers with beautifully stitched numbers on the back of them. Um the whole colours that just everything about it. It takes place in Midwest fairgrounds you know, with the big wheel going on in the background and the corn dogs and the, so that's everything my, like more, that. Sort of,
3: okay, so that my more romantic idea of what it's all yeah. about, I guess.
4: so it was imported into the UK. It, a couple of times it got a false start. And then when it eventually came into the UK, we have a lot of speedway tracks, which are the same shape, basically the same dirt, but much smaller. And they race those in America as well and slowly got some traction and the person who was running it ran out of steam with it and then another guy picked it up and started not running it as a business but running it as a club for the racers and we as Sideburn magazine the magazine that I make commissioned some cool posters for it from sort of outsider artists and gave it a very different feel in the UK, so rather than it being about sport or about winning, it was about participation. Lifestyle? Uh, yeah, I guess so, in a, in a, with a small L. Small L. <laughs> and it really picked up and a few people come along, see the poster and think, oh that's something cool, I wonder what it is, I'll turn up, saw that there was a load of people who didn't really know what they were doing racing at the back but still enjoying themselves and it's grown and grown and grown since then i came up with an event called dirtquake that encouraged people to race anything they had whatever bike they had on a world-class track and it got a lot of traction to use it upon but uh it it just grew and grew and now it's being copied all around the world sounds like a
3: two-wheel version of wacky races to
4: me (laughs) at times it it is just like that yeah (laughs) I've
3: never ridden a bike, you know, did I want one? But its attraction is kind of fairly obvious. I mean, the power between your legs, the whole anti-establishment thing, the possibility of escape and adventure. I guess that's an obvious appeal, but I guess it's more than that. I mean, what is the subculture around bike riding, or is it just bikes?
5: I think it's grown into a whole other animal maybe because there's so many different facets of it. Like Gary was talking about Dirt Quay, that's kind of one of the first touch points that me and my friends kind of got into Dirt Track or, or being a part of that like kind of family of people. In terms of custom bikes, I mean, I think it just started because of people getting back to working with their hands a bit more. I don't know, That's that's only like my perspective and and as a woman getting into that sort of stuff it was something that I'd seen guys do my entire life and and be around fixing and and kind of getting their hands dirty And, and that was something new for me so it was it's part of the romance of riding, for sure. On your own or with your friends, like it's a good way to get out of your own head and sort of be on your own, or it's a great thing to share with other people. But then it's also the the actual relationship you have with being able to do things again. I mean, I'm a designer, so I kind of work with my hands a lot anyway. But being able to kind of have a relationship with the thing that you ride as well is kind I mean, of a, re-engaging a with lost yeah, art, so almost, a... isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And and well. From a woman's perspective anyway, it's like maybe not something that's a lost art for us. It's kind of a new, new thing. New art, that's right,
3: because yeah, it's always it's been obviously a the domain thing. of men. Yeah, then.
5: I mean, I won't pretend I'm like some kind of pro bike builder. I'm absolutely not. I mean, I just ride them and tinker really, but I think that's kind of one thing that i think is really interesting about the new wave for me and from it's, my angle it's true
3: because you think of the history of the whole bike culture it's always been obviously a macho thing and the girl was always a bit of cosmetic dressing on the back what do you call the back seat <laughs> what do you call the back seat the pillion, pillion. On, on the pillion yeah on the pillion but obviously that's changed over the years
5: i won't pretend that women haven't been riding until until this new wave because there have been riding they've been riding for absolutely years there's a lot of like female bike groups especially in the north of England, like real hard riders as well that are kind of like doing bike rallies and attending and been riding for 20, 30, 40 years and things like this. So ours is just maybe a different angle. As uh, But it's
4: definitely different, you know. The, it's
5: definitely different, yeah. It's, it's a different aesthetic, I guess. Maybe it's a different like type of bike as well. But
4: the, the, the mutation of it was like Gemma's touched upon, motorbikes were getting faster and faster. Not all of them, because there's always been commuter bikes, but the push of the industry was more expensive, faster, bigger sports bikes. Bikes that do 190 miles an hour and cost 10 grand, which isn't a lot for that kind of, you know, if you want that kind of performance from a car, you're spending 160 grand. But these bikes were alienating people and the kind of clothes that make sense to ride a bike like that are full race leathers, full helmet. And the whole technology thing, I know it gets mentioned a lot and you've mentioned it before in, in the first podcast where... It's connecting people and it's all swipe and it's, you know, I'm as into Instagram and all that as anyone else. But I think people were getting fed up with having something that they relied on that once it went wrong, that was it. You were screwed. There was nothing you could do about it. Whereas if you could buy a little motorbike, you could take it to bits with a £30 set of tools from Halfords and you could clean out the carb and you could take the bottom off it and find a dead mouse in there or something like that. (laughs) I go, oh, there's my problem. Take that out put it back together put a three pound spark plug in it and the thing started and man you feel good after you fix something like that and that was a really uh so it's cost effective and user friendly well more than that it was just ah I can fix something I don't have to take it to a shop anymore so that was a big thing and also you could with no knowledge at all work out oh I can take that bit off and I can take that bit off the motorbike and it'll still run and I can change that bit for that bit and it'll still run I can strip the paint off that bit or add paint to that bit and it'll still run and look it looks nothing like i bought it and nothing like anyone else's on the street and that was a big thing about this whole new scene of what your personal take over the
3: world to what extent is it a scene and how big a community is it
5: it's oh, huge, and I think what's interesting is it kind of transcends age and gender. What's interesting for me is it's a touchpoint with people that I would have never have had any reason to have met before. People in the chopper scene, maybe, or people in the dirt track scene. It kind of seems to be a bit of a big crossover, a big pool of many people. But then within that, there are tiny little pockets and little scenes within there are individual scenes. Individual clicks. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of. I think that's kind of
3: because what I'm hearing is like in the twenty first century, all this social media shit, but anything that kind of brings like minded people. Together for a synchronized experience. Yeah, sure. all those things are on the app.
5: Well, that's what I mean. Where do you get kind of like you know someone who's in his sixties, been building choppers his entire life, talking to someone, a girl in their twenties who's just started riding a one two five? I find that the most incredible thing about and they're both cycles. getting something out of it. Yeah, really stoked <laughs> to talk to each other and actually like getting you know yeah something completely Some enthusiasm different. obviously yeah, yeah for sure because as we've done the the whole VC thing, we've got like messages from literally like you know old school chopper builders just saying. I just really enjoy what you do because uh, it looks like you're having great fun on these little tiny bikes and it reminds me of when I started. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're just having fun in a really unpretentious, silly way and learning about stuff.
4: you tell me about this Sideburn magazine, man. They look great. I've been a freelance journalist for 18 or 19 years and I got sick of interviewing the same people and doing the same things and a bit tired of the quality of the magazines I was working for going down and down not not so much the quality of the ideas but a bit of that but the paper quality and I thought all right I'm going to make my own magazine and I'm not going to worry about the quality I'm going to make it the best paper I can afford and give it a fanzine feel but a high quality fanzine so rather than being photocopied it's nicely printed and the best photos we could get hold of and because motorcycling had been in Britain and been in a bit of doldrums lots of people were willing to help sideburn without being paid just because they were happy for it to even exist so that managed to give us a foothold until we could start paying people and uh, yeah 10 years later um, we did we make four a year and keep on keeping
3: on i'm not being funny i'm no bullshit it's a fantastic piece you know it's got gravitas stylistically it's brilliant the visual references are brilliant and i'm only just flicking through this shit yeah yeah tell me about the evolution of sideburn and what it entails because it seems it's a bit more than just about motorbikes to me
4: well it, it's certainly about motorbikes but i was talking about the um the sport that I was involved with earlier and that was very much the core of it to start with and it still is the core but we introduced road trippy type stories and essays about uh, movies I mean we've had Alex Cox who I'm sure yeah he, he, he's yep, yep. <laughs> he's written a couple of stories for us in the past and it's it's grown beyond that and the, the feel of it was always it's not what you ride it's how you ride it So it didn't matter if it was a punk rock. (laughs) It didn't matter if it was a Honda C90 Cub that you would dragged out of a field and and managed to get running, or if it was a thirty thousand pound piece of jewelled art. As long as you rode it hard, that was what we were about, and and that's that's how it's mutated, really.
3: You said a word in there that attracted me. Movies. Come on! If I had to see ten movies about motorbikes, what would they be? Ten. All right, five. (laughs) There's ten. I, even I can do 10, I don't ride fucking bikes. Let's try it. Come on. Let's do the obvious, easy rider.
5: Girl on a motorbike. Wild run. You said it.
3: Girl on a motorbike. You mentioned Akira. Akira. Electroglide in blue. Yeah. The Leather Boys. Come on, dude. Come on, I know my shit. The Leather Boys, right? Yeah. UK. Okay, how, how far have I got? How am I doing?
5: Five,
4: six. Five. Okay,
3: it's said electric light in blue, we're running, come on, all right. And I named most so, of them. So,
4: uh, one that we've written about in the latest issue is a, is a Japanese one called um, Godspeed, You Black, Black Emperor. Black Emperor? Guess what? I even know about that one. <laughs> there so you go. come on. I'll tell you, I, I, the reason
3: I've gone down this road, because I've got one for you that you've got promise me you'll check out when you've got time. It's a movie called Orphée by um, Jean Cocteau. It's a surrealist movie. Oh, all right. And it always struck a chord, But well, it's a surrealist movie, so it's pretty out there anyway. But there's these two guys on motorbikes that play an integral part of the story. And uh, you've just got to check it out. You've got to promise me you'll check it out. And maybe get your club guys to have a movie night and watch it. Yeah. Remind me of the name? Orfe. I'll send you it. Orfe by Jean Cocteau. Right. And you've got to check it out. We nearly got to 10, though, didn't we? I nearly got to 10,
5: mind you. Just
3: cheated. On any
5: Sunday.
3: Go on, you got one? On any Sunday, of course. Yeah, on any Sunday. And then... What was the
4: one with Sylvester Stallone? Um, Judge Dredd? Lord of flat lords of flatbush you've got to mention on any sunday so when was the first time you saw any sunday so and the
5: first s- one i actually saw was the second one on oh, any right. sunday that was the first one that i watched the modern and then i one. went backwards yeah the modern one wa- yeah sorry okay. the modern one not well not actually the second one the third one in that case but um yeah and then i went back and watched the original after that so it was kind of uh, i've done it the other way around
4: <laughs> so the The one that they made recently was made by the son of the original director. So it's Dana Brown and Bruce Brown. And Bruce Brown, this movie on any Sunday, if you haven't seen it, is made in 1970 and is mostly remembered because Steve McQueen features in it, but not as an actor, as a motorcyclist. He was a really, really good racer and he'd turn up. Two races and race under a pseudonym of Harvey Mushman <laughs> uh, on Brit bikes back then, so Bonneville engine but really tuned up in lightweight frames. It's ringing a bell because you said Steve McQueen, and it is a such a feel good, beautiful film, and he helped finance it. And it follows racing, it follows dirt track. Which is the first a lot of people outside America have heard of that sport, the sport we've mentioned a couple of times, because it follows the 1970 season, which was Triumph racing Harley Davidson and brutal crashes and road trips and all sorts. It's just a, such a lovely film. On my checklist, man, I've got to see You've it. You've got to see it. And then at the end, the, the racers who've been featured all the way through it. Doing these different sports all around the world, meet up with Steve McQueen on a beach in Northern California, and just ride around this beach, just cutting loops to this dreamy soundtrack. And it's in that seventies movie way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. loads loads of lens flare, and it's it is the most beautiful piece of motorcycle film ever made actually
3: as you're desc- describing beautiful it's a motorcycle film of course what springs to mind steve mcqueen
4: yeah the great escape
3: the great escape yeah what was that he was riding like curiosity it obviously i didn't care when i was a kid but just
4: the whole idea of the, in a the a scene triumph tr6c i think oh. that's got to be a classic bike moment yeah surely. Uh, oh, absolutely yeah and it was his friend who actually did the jump in the end a guy called bud ekins he was the real steve mcqueen steve everyone wishes he was steve mcqueen that Steve McQueen wishes he was Buddy Kings.
3: I took a lot of style tips from him. At, you know, anyway. Yeah. He used to wear what are these shoes? They you will know these shoes. Floor floor shine shoes. Do you know the crepe sole shoes? That anyway, anyway. Like yeah. desert boots. Yeah, yeah. That was his thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, are young people into it? I'm, I'm I'm curious about how it relates to youth culture. I know you said it's for all ages, but I'm curious about that. Are you getting young people into it?
5: Well, we've taught over a hundred girls how to well, how to ride. I mean, we've given them a first go on a motorbike. Um and it does tend to be I mean, i have have taught older women how to ride as well. Like well, just women that are slightly older than me, but yeah, it does seem to be like people well, it seems to be people in their twenties, like girls in their twenties that are wanting to start
3: and are they going out on tracks? Are they riding around London or are they going up for country runs? How does it work? Because that's where it falls down to me, well, Bike culture in London, yeah, it doesn't yeah, seem sure. to go
5: but that's why we kind of just offer that first like go around screw fix car park on a little one two five and then the girls that we've known have kind of gone on to some of them now um do a little bit of flat track some of them do a little bit of motocross some of them ride on the road but it's about giving people the opportunity to start and then they make their own decisions from there it's just that first touch point that we provide so it's kind of i think but i mean i'm sure you've seen especially with dirt track there's loads more girls getting into it now isn't there so it seems like girls are getting out there i don't think it's just a motorcycling thing i think i see a lot and, of girls starting skateboarding you are,
4: you and you had your event over in wales didn't you Camp. yeah
5: we do uh yeah we do a big Don event about that. yeah we do a big event over um in brecon beacons uh we did the first year in collaboration with some girls from the u.s called babes ride out they do a huge event over there with about one and a half thousand girls riding motorbikes um in the desert and uh we kind of hooked up with them to do the first year and it kind of it's it's, it's a big um meet up of dirt bikes skateboarding uh beginners lessons to anyone that hasn't ever given it a go so it's not just about riding out around the countryside it's about like girls giving it their first time with all their mates for the weekend um but that's being taught by uh people like leah tokluff who is one of the um pro flat track racers um she's the only female pro flat track i think at the moment right um, and so she comes down and she teaches these girls, she gives them the first go on dirt bikes, things like this. We have girls teaching skating. So so again, it's like, yeah, this sort of like first touch point, I suppose, with, with things like this. Because
3: so. I'm glad nothing, you know, the, the whole bike culture, you know, when you think about it in America, it's like this romantic open road, Route 66, blue skies, little fluffy clouds. And then you try and transplant that to the UK and it all goes pear-shaped for me. Uh, how much does the weather and the environment impact on what you do?
4: <laughs> it's got to
5: impact to, to yeah. some
3: level.
4: But another change that happened 20 years ago, young people, youths, stopped by motorbikes because motorbike insurance got so much and their parents would say, oh, well, we'll get you a nice little Vauxhall Corsa, a Vauxhall Safer. Nova. And out of that grew the whole Max Power scene, you know, the, the whole cruise, you know, car cruising scene in the UK.
5: I used to then, go to so many of those. And then
4: <laughs> car insurance got so expensive that it swung back the other way. So people can't, you know, unless their parents are really financing them, they can't afford insurance on a car. So they're looking, all oh, right, I'll get a little motorbike instead. But I think and then on the flip side
5: of that is that um, well, having having known a lot of girls or, or people in the US that ride, it's a lot harder to get your license here. Just even just as a starting point, costs a lot of money to get your full license to ride any motorcycle. Because you can do a CBT, cost about hundred quid. You do it in a day, and you can ride up to a one two five, so a little, um, you know, geared bike or or a sort of twist and go little scooter and things. But if you really want to go ahead and get your full license, you're talking up to about a thousand pounds just to get the license. So, yeah, it's a lot of oh, money. Cool. Yeah, it's like getting your car license all over again. You've got to go for lessons. There's different sort of um, compartments that you have to do. You have to do a theory again. So it's, it is a bit of a commitment. I don't like when people say, oh, it's you know, people are getting into it for a trend. I think it's like far, you have to be far too committed and you have to pay far too much money and time.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot.
2: to get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: And i have got to ask as well, because I mean, this is, I'm a sort of music and style guy, but how important is the whole style and the look, or is it more about functionality?
5: I think it's changed a lot nowadays compared to you know you could probably look at someone walking down the street and think they were a biker before I think that's totally different now I think it's again it's maybe similar with the music it's just this big kind of smelting pot of stuff so especially like with the people and the girls that I kind of hang out with we're like riding in you know, hoodies and a pair of vans, which by no means I'm condoning or saying that that's the safest thing in the world. But, but we, like, uh, meet but me a and the girls, that's style kind of, on its own, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. But again, that crosses over maybe into skate culture yeah. a bit as well. But then I'm a 32 year old woman that rides a chopper that wears a pair of vans that kind of, you know, it's, I guess it's a little bit more nonsensical than it maybe was before. It's but not it's kind de- of just But it's def-
4: motorcycling's definitely about style. Oh yeah. it's about the dressing up box, isn't it? It's giving you opportunities to wear things that you probably wouldn't feel comfortable. Not
5: age appropriate. But the (laughs) the
3: bike thing though can be age appropriate as you described. You know, you don't look like a kid trying to, you know, look young. no, no. No, there's age appropriate biker stuff that's cool. Absolutely,
4: yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of small companies set up making really nice stuff now.
3: Is Lewis Leathers? Is it? Is that still the yeah. go-to place? Is that Absolutely, still... yeah. I'm trying to think why I would have gone there because I didn't have a bike. So what the hell would I have been buying there?
4: Leather jacket. <laughs> it
3: would have been leather jacket. <laughs> of That's why. Yeah, that was the bollocks. That was the only place, right? Lewis yeah. Leathers. Yeah, and the Clash got theirs from there. Still is and of well. course, I hold up a second. I just remembered. Of course, a Clash favourite. Those I thought they were engineer boots, but they're biker biker boots, right? The a,
4: they are engineer boots. Yeah, that's right. The Red Wings. Yeah, the boys they, they like
3: buy them the stateside, but that was a absolute must-have.
4: Well, I wore I wore these and I've been wearing them for years because of. The cover of This Is Big Audio Dynamite.
3: Oh, Mick Jones, has he got them on in there? Yeah. Yes, yes, hasn't he? Yeah, that Joe loved him as well. Paul, where well, they all did. Like I said, they all, yeah, that was a big deal. Except no one had a motorbike, of course. All had the jackets, all had the boots, but nobody had a bike. Hairdo, the comb, <laughs> the hanky... <laughs> The jeans, of course, (laughs) but nobody had the
4: bike. If you were going to get a bike, which one would you get?
3: I'm not being funny, but like I I, I, said, I'm not even going to pretend that I know anything about bike culture. But from the little, what is it, like cultural totems that I've heard in my brain over the years, Bonneville strikes a chord, whatever the... But I don't even know what it is. That's what the thing is, I don't know. But I think I've seen it in books and certain, I don't know, stories... But is it Triumph, is it? Yeah, Yeah. it is, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that. And like I say, it's just for the cultural references more than actually knowing anything about, you know, what it actually is or how it's made or how fast it is. It's not like a passing phase. It becomes your
4: life, I guess. I think for a lot of people, for sure, yeah.
5: Yeah, absolutely. You get sucked into this big vortex of dirt and oil and...
4: (laughs) And camaraderie,
3: I guess. There's a lot of camaraderie in the whole thing, I guess. Well, I mean, that's how subcultures kind of happen is because you have these outsider people that find each other and then it starts to build and it becomes a subculture, I guess. Mm.
5: I think the exciting thing, though, is when somebody comes in from somewhere else and adds a bit of new flavour to something, because scenes can kind of eat themselves sometimes. They become like, you know, they become a bit self-perpetuating, but then when other people come in, that's when the kind of magic stuff starts happening. Because
3: I guess there's a lot of bike purists as well, those guys like that, they're very fixed in what they perceive it to be.
5: Yeah, and that was a
4: problem curious always well, that's what are. I mean, it yes. eats they always itself, are. It? Exactly. They're so, yeah. somewhat necessary,
3: but they can be they can be problematic as well, yeah.
4: Yeah, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier where people who had never owned a chopper but could appreciate them were allowed to admit it. They could say, "Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I love that." And they would all like you were saying earlier there's a melting pot and things would come in and skaters would come in and young women would come in from this side and, you know, I'm in my mid-40s, and for the first 15 years of me going to bike shows, it was just, you know, all men. Sausage fest. (laughs) (laughs) all men in bad clothes. And then when you start turning up to events and there's young women turning up on their own bikes, and you just think, oh, this is... It just brings a totally different mood to the whole...
5: We have been not criticised, but some people have said, oh, because we put on women's events that are just, especially our big event in the in the Brecon Beacons, the attendance is just women. But again, it's about creating that space where girls can kind of come together, try something new, and then be confident enough to go to a trip out on their own or go to another big bike event on their own and not feel like, oh, I don't know anything about this, and no one's going to tell me. It's about accessibility and I think Empowering them I guess. He, yeah, the yeah. Yeah. It's it's just kind of good vibes, man. It's yeah. like it's it's no kind of like running around castrating men or anything or man hating. It's it's more to do with I the hate fact man. that yeah, yeah, they're
3: the wankers. Yeah. Yeah. They are, we are oh, we oh. listen, <laughs> Nobody knows better than me. <laughs> What yeah, but dicks. like
5: even when I got into even when I got into bikes and eventually when I decided that I either wanted to start building or to to buy. At first there was maybe a bit of the worry that, you know, what are people going to say if I ride this bike because you do have to have a certain amount of respect for, for the history of something that came before you. So, it is nice to know a little bit. I'm not pretending that I'm an expert, but being able to kind of bring that new aspect to it and then kind of go, do you know what? I don't look like I should ride this, but I will. I guess that's kind of like the big mix up of things that I think is the most interesting thing about bikes and any culture, any, any type of subculture.
4: But that's not to say that there hasn't been some uh, friction with the old school. Oh, yeah. Looking down sure on the that's... the so-called hipsters, but it just proves... That's always that, been there. I mean, that's I
3: like the it's things, been, more no, of a that's thing ticks over, yeah. man. It's all, that's always been there. Well, then then the Greasers used to way. call the scooter boys, they used to call their bikes like hair dryers or something. Uh, yeah. You know,
5: I just hate anyone belittling anyone else for giving it a go because that essentially, again, it just becomes stagnant. It just It, it just was stops.
3: stagnant. It was yeah. so... That's the thing about yeah. purists, they get stuck and they don't move on. Yeah, and yeah, yeah.
5: it's a shame, really, because there are there are still a lot. Of course there are, but, uh, again, you just got to kind of ignore it and get on with what you're doing.
3: So how is the mainstream motor industry interpreting what's going on at grassroots level?
4: Well, if you were being... Uh, unkind you could say they've totally co-opted it Um, most of the manufacturers it was hand in hand really because Triumph were already building their reborn Bonneville which looked just like the 1960s one but modernised in the same way that the new Fiat 500 looks like the, the little 60s jelly bean on wheels jelly tot on wheels whatever and that was kind of popular and then people started customising them and giving them the Steve McQueen aesthetic and looking like Steve McQueen as they rode round on them, wearing, you know, finding soul, out... sunglasses. Yeah, and, finding yeah. out the sunglasses, the actual jacket he wore, the boots that he raced in, all these things. And that led to this, this growth in this new motorcycle scene, this subculture. And Triumph benefited from that. And then the other manufacturers thought, whoa, something growing here. Look it's what people trick. are doing to Triumphs. And Yamaha started working with custom builders around the world saying, here's a brand new bike. Do what you want with it. Um, and then BMW did it. And then BMW made uh, the R9T, which is a bike that you can buy off the shelf that looks like one of these new custom urban scramblers um who else have made one
3: a mate of mine a graffiti artist i know called graffiti uh, futura 2000
4: had to spray up some
3: bike for some company i can't remember who it was years and years ago that was yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm
4: -hmm. um so so the manufacturers have got really into it and not at the detriment of of everything because they've then sponsored events the the bike shed that i mentioned in london one Motorcycle Show in Portland, Oregon's a great show. Wheels and Waves in Biarritz is a really uh, seminal event.
3: Across the board, brands have been embracing all these thriving subcultures. It's, I think they call it cool by association. But that's where they're getting all their style tips from. Them. They're looking at the grassroots and then doing their version of it. And it's interesting because what that does is... It forces the originators to kind of keep reinventing themselves. Exactly. And it kind Absolutely, of pushes the whole thing yeah. along, you know. Absolutely.
5: Yeah.
4: Because, as you said, it's it's not like in the music scene where a band gets popular and the people who like them originally drift off to find more extreme or, you know, if, if a band was influenced by... Uh, Northern Seoul for instance you know like Soft Cell if you were into Soft Cell at the beginning you clocked that they were doing Northern Soul covers but as they got more popular you probably went down the Northern Soul route instead but with motorbiking you can't leave motorbiking you've just got to find <laughs> a more niche route And that's quite an interesting thing as well. And for being a magazine editor, you know, I don't bandwagon jump. You know, we nailed our colours to the mast. But I am always on the lookout for these new scenes that are coming up and interesting custom builders who are picking a subculture from the past or a... Something from the past that they pick up on and reinterpret it in a modern way. So, because they don't want to leave biking, they don't, there's nothing else, you know, they're not going to start getting into classic tractors or <laughs>
5: never say doing, doing never. A, going. Well, never say <laughs> never, but, you know,
4: <laughs> don't.
3: You know what I also like is, is the attention to detail in this culture. I, it's, obviously, the detail's really important,
4: no? Yeah, well, it's the difference between life and death sometimes, the detail. Get a detail wrong on a bike at 70 miles an hour, it's... um,
3: What do you want to do when you want to... What is the expression? Open up. Is that the expression? Yeah, open that, it
5: up. Open it up. Is that
3: the expression? <laughs> yeah. What? Where do people go to do that? Seriously. What's Depends speed what you're riding a, and
5: what, how fast you want to go. because there's a the
3: speed limit on in, on the motorway now. What is it? Seventy. 70. So will they just break the law and just open up? Yeah. Because so, there's nowhere you can actually go 100 miles an hour. I need to go to Germany.
5: Bonnyville. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, more than 100 yeah. miles an hour. <laughs> one of the one of the things that I've been wanting to go out to for a while is that in Japan. I mean, Japan. Like we've kind of not. Even and really spoken about that their involvement in the whole custom scene and and, and where they all kind of came from especially with choppers and the new wave of it but there's a place in, in Japan called Chirihama which they do the sand flat racing like a straight um, drag race out there which is pretty incredible looking uh, kind of there's a lot of girls uh, I mean I mean, these are choppers that they actually race on the beach so the most like you know hardtail hard tail is when you don't have any back suspension and it's completely rigid frame so the most unlikely bikes racing on the most unlikely terrain um this sort of so there's all these like little kind of pockets and stuff like i mean and and different like interpretations of like maybe you're steve mcqueen riding around on a beach and stuff that kind of crossover of weird
4: but you're saying where can you go fast bikes (laughs) accelerate so quickly (laughs) compared to a normal run-of-the-mill car that you can be 120 miles an hour between two sets of traffic lights if the mood took you And it's not so much about the top speed, it's about the thrust (laughs) and the acceleration. It's Addictive. The I'll take your word is... for it.
5: <laughs> I think the first time you do it, it really knocks your socks off, and, and I think also, I mean, if you've got a sort of two brain cells to rub together as well, the first time you do it, it can really, it is quite frightening. I think the first time you experience that type of acceleration, maybe not for me the speed because I've sort never of gone one hundred and fifty, but yeah, and and like Gary says, the time which it takes you to be able to do that sometimes is terrifying. Even on like, I mean, I have a, a nine hundred Thruxton. And even on that, and I mean that's a heavy bike. That's nothing compared to like a, a sports bike. But even that can can frighten me a little bit sometimes if you go a bit too a bit too fast. So there is the the sort of letting go, but there's the also also like maybe the sort of reining it into that's kind of that's kind of part of it. I think maybe not from Gary's perspective because he but- is a man that likes to go very fast, but.
4: But the, the whole danger thing is part of it as well. Yeah. you married? Yeah. You're a lady who ride a bike? No, she used to go on the back until we had a crash. <laughs> ah. Well,
3: that would do
5: it. Yeah, the danger thing is something that's always there, I think. And if, and if you don't ever have any consideration point of it, then, then maybe you're a bit of a fool.
3: So you're suggesting that um, bikers never die?
4: Well... <laughs> I wouldn't say that. There's some bold riders and there's some old riders, but there aren't many old, bold riders. Well put. Oh, so nice. You've got to uh, keep your wits about you. But the thing about motorcycling is, and I'm noticing it more and more, you don't even have to ride that much to be a really keen motorcyclist. You can be part of the tribe by owning and tinkering and turning up to shops and events a couple of times a year and really still feel part of it in the same way that you can still be a big feel a big part of a musical movement only going to one or two live gigs a year
3: perhaps but it can be a weekend pastime or whatever is what you're less saying absolutely than, yeah. less
4: that you know you, whereas when I first started buying loads of records I had the crappiest MIDI system do you remember MIDI systems it was like pressed out of cardboard kind of thing because I just wanted to spend all my money on records I couldn't think, well, I'll do without records for a few months to get a better record player. But then as you get older you're buying less records because you've you've settled into what you like and you so you get a nicer stereo. With mo- the with motorcycling, when you're a kid you just ride everywhere. No gloves, cagoule, crappy helmet, riding to college, riding to your first job, riding to your girlfriends, riding everywhere, every day. I you know, I used to ride Every day of the year, including Christmas Day, i just go out just so I could say I've ridden every day of the year. Just go for 10 minutes out on my bike. And then as you get older and other things come into your life, you're still a motorcyclist and you're still tinkering. You've got a garage now, so you can have a bike in bits and you've got a car as well. So you don't need a bike on the road every day of the week but you're still definitely a motorcyclist. So, yeah, there there are older guys. And like Gemma was saying earlier, there's a whole range of people that'll turn up to something like the Bike Shed Show in in East London when that's on in May, from 20-year-old young women to 65-year-old blokes. And they'll all wear the same jacket, you know, the same barber or the the same bell staff. You know, there's six size differences in between them. But... (laughs) They're, they're similar, yeah. and one of them's got skinny jeans on, and one of them hasn't got so skinny jeans on. But so it's, it, it's something that I've never seen before in my life. You would never see that at a gig, you know. When you were twenty, someone who was forty-five seemed like well, you they weren't. <laughs> you even, can say it. <laughs> They they were a different species, yes, yeah, yeah, to the point where you didn't even notice them, except to think, what the hell is? Who's he waiting for? What's he doing here? But now, there aren't those same... Divides. Divides, which is pretty unusual, really. Yeah, and kind of cool, Especially
3: so. in
5: today's world, where everybody seems to want to divide That thing
4: is, other. like you're
3: saying, it's not, really, it's not a fashion thing, it's a lifestyle thing. You know, it's not something that you do for a little while and you
4: give up and, like, what's next?
3: Yeah. You're in it, you're in
4: yeah, it. Yeah, I'm sure some people do, but not many. Yeah.
5: I think you're I I think the future for women in motorcycling I think you're going to see a lot more for sure but I I mean there already are I mean in the US it's absolutely enormous it's 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 catching up a little bit here but um Hopefully, like, the events that we do and stuff help people to give it a go and stuff. But, like you say, the weather and things like this, yeah, I mean, it's not Um, not the easiest.
4: Yeah, and the insurance. And and the
5: insurance and things like this, yeah, there are a lot of, like, little sort of hills to climb over to be able to do it. But, I mean, in terms of women doing, getting into motorcycles more, I mean, women are getting into everything more now. I don't think it's just a motorcycle
0: thing. That's right. Yeah.
5: But, yeah, I would love to see loads more girls on bikes. Just to level the playing field, that's all. Just to be, just to be fifty, fifty, fifty. That'd be pretty cool. But I think it's, it's, it's slowly happening. Yeah, it's slowly happening. I've seen five foot one girls on twelve hundred Harley's. It's, it's not about. It is. It isn't about. I don't. I don't think it's about specific things designed for women. It, not in, not in motorcycles themselves, anyway. I've seen nineteen year old Leah Club absolutely leave guys that she races against for dust and it does not matter a fig that she's that she's a girl at all which is which is actually like to to you guys credit i actually think that's why the dirt track scene and everything is is probably one of the most inspiring sports to watch as a woman to be able to see to be able to see women race against guys and it does not matter you just got to be good that's it i think that's kind of inspiring for a lot of sports and for a lot of people to watch so yeah, so I think it's it's the leveling of the playing field. But there's it's a not long a way to go. Oh wow, there's a long way to go. But yeah. then, but then you're seeing like that, you know, just this season, there's a couple more girls racing and they're good. They're not, they're not like being left at the back. You know, they're they're kind of starting to, you know, just give it. And and they all just started. I mean, what in the last year or the last so? A couple so. of years, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of, I think it's
3: kind of two wheels good.
5: Yeah, very good. <laughs>
2: Thanks for listening and stay tuned for Season 2 of Joining the Dots, which is in production as we speak. In the meantime, you can find Huck Magazine at all good newsagents and you can go to huckmag.com to subscribe. That's H-U-C-K mag.com for daily original journalism, cutting-edge reportage photography and all the killer content. Huckmag.com.